Welcome to the teacher's lounge. Now, I know what you're thinking. I like to avoid the teacher's lounge because there's too much gossip and complaining going on. You know what? I agree with you, but this teacher's lounge is different. In this teacher's lounge, I take the time to interview some of my friends and colleagues from all across the country and even the world to talk about teaching, different topics that matter, and how using comprehensible input strategies can work to make all of their students successful. So I hope you enjoy your trip to the teacher's lounge and that you enjoy today's episode. Okay. So I know that I say this about every interview I do, and it's because I'm genuinely super excited about every interview and conversation I have with other world language teachers, but I cannot wait for you to listen to this episode. It is fire. I sat in this episode and took kind of a back seat to listen and to learn because I am by no means an expert in the area of creating an equitable classroom, and it's an area that I strive to improve consistently, and I was blown away by the knowledge, the tips, the information, the challenges that both AC Quintero and her colleague, Alicia Gonzalez, brought to this conversation. So you might want to grab a notebook for this one. Buckle yourself up and get ready for an awesome conversation about how to build community in your classroom so that students feel safe, how to confront some of your own biases, how to include culture and representation in a meaningful way in your classes, um, how to run your classroom in an equitable way, including grading practices and ideas, and so much more. I cannot wait for you to dive into this episode about how these two awesome teachers put equity into practice in their classrooms. Welcome, everybody. I'm super excited for you to listen to my podcast guest today speaking on the topic of equity and how we can make sure that we're reaching all of our students and making sure they're all seen and heard in our classrooms. I would like to welcome my guest today, AC Quintero, who came and talked to me uh, about equity in June, I think it was. June, sometime earlier this summer. Time means nothing anymore in quarantine. Um, and then also her colleague from her school, Alicia Gonzalez, is going to join the conversation today. So I will let both of you introduce yourselves and then we will jump right in. Thank you. Well, um, my name is AC Quintero and I am a teacher, um, a Spanish teacher. <laughs> I teach levels one and four uh, in an urban district in Chicago. And I'm just, also I'm an author. I write novels and short stories, um, and I really just love helping teachers. Um, I feel like just with my experience um, working as a middle school teacher, high school teacher, working in IB, um, I've just I feel like I have a lot to offer, and um, and yeah, I'm just really grateful to be to be back on this podcast talking about equity. Um, I feel like the last time I was here, we barely scratched the surface. I think we talked a lot about sort of like the what and maybe some of the whys. And then today I'm with my equity partner, um, Alicia Gonzalez, and we're going to kind of walk you a little bit through the, you know, the whys, you know, the what and the whys, but also get to the nitty gritty of the how to, like how can you um, practically apply this in the classroom? So I'm really excited to be here today with her and to talk to you about equity. Hi, um, hola, bonjour. Um, my name is Alicia Gonzalez. Um, um, I'm a native speaker of Spanish. And um, however, I uh, majored in French. So I teach French at the same school as um, AC. And um, I really, um, we're coming here today as equity partners, but in partners in, as partners in a lot of ways, we have very, um, deep and insightful conversations. Um, we, um, we share a lot of the same values and um, we really challenge each other in very positive ways on how to get there. Um, and so we're very like-minded and um, I'm just so proud to have um, AC as my sister in um, this mission of trying to, you know, create an equitable environment for all of our students. That's so that's wonderful. Just and equity. Oh, sorry. <laughs> equity. <laughs> no, you're good. I'm just, I'm just so excited to have you both here today and to really kind of take a role where I'm going to listen and learn along with the rest of you today. So I'm going to let you two take it away and, and teach us some things. 
Great. Well, so I'll just kind of just talk about a little bit um, our flow for today, what we're going to talk about, what you can expect in this podcast. Um, AG and I, like she said, we are thought partners and, you know, we met prior to this and just really thought through a lot of our practices, a lot of our experiences and just kind of put together like a little program that we felt that could really impact language teachers, uh, regardless of the language and regardless of what school that you teach in. And so um, we're going to talk about equity-based practices and policy. So AG is going to touch on that. She's going to talk about getting to know your students um, and then some things that you can do to make sure that just right out the gate, you start having, you know, those um, start shaping what equity is going to look like in your class. I am going to then talk about equity and representation. I'm going to give you um, some, some tips and also some, um, some practicals on how to, um, how to apply that to your curriculum. I'm going to also touch on surface curriculum versus deep culture. Uh, AG is going to then talk about equity uh, in general policies and practices. And then I'm going to end the podcast by talking about equity through skills-based grading. So we do have a nice little plan for you today, and I'm going to turn it over to AG to talk about equity-based practices and policies. Um, and um, so, Caitlin, feel free to jump in with a question for clarification. Um, this is the first time I've done this. And um, actually, one of the things I love about Q is that she always questions me to go further or to clarify or to explain or to give an example, um, which is also what we ask our students to do. So please feel free um, to jump in if I'm not being clear about anything or you'd like to hear more. Um, so. We've heard, and I think you both touched on the idea of a culturally responsive classroom. And, um, you know, a lot of us, frankly, Zaretta Hammond, you know, um, I know, for example, my, uh, my son's um, girlfriend is just going into teaching and they're reading that now. And how great if, you know, we could have read that 30 years ago when I went to the practice queue probably less time than that, but um, you know, how wonderful, you know, that incoming teachers have this now. Um, so I, as far as I'm concerned, it's a seminal book. Um, every teacher, no matter who they teach, who's in front of them, um, you know, it can be a classroom of, you know, um, white students. Everyone should read culturally um, responsive, the culturally responsive classroom. So, um, so one of the things that I think is necessary for creating that space is getting to know your student. And it's interesting because, you know, when we think about beginning of the year surveys, um, when I look back at mine, I'm just like mortified. Um, you know, I wanted to know what their favorite song was and their color. I mean, yeah, that's cute and good. Um, because you can say when they walk in, hey, I noticed you're wearing your favorite color. That's great. That, that does establish a, you know, sort of trusting relationship and safe space. But you have to go beyond that. Mm -hmm. um, you really have to get to know them. And I'm currently um, a first year candidate for national boards. And we spend a lot of time on the idea of getting to know your students. And so they are basically forcing me to really, really reconsider, like in the best of ways. And I say this to let everybody out there know that you're never too old to do this. Mm -hmm. And that yes, we can look back with mortification on the mistakes or the the you know lack of whatever uh, we've had in the past but you know it, it, there's no time like the present let's move forward mm -hmm. um you know and now moving forward i'm creating a survey for getting to know my students and i'm really looking at the whole student so i want to know what their family life is like i want to know um what their learning style is like i want to know how they like do they like to be picked on in French class? Do they rather just sit back and listen? Um, you know, are they, do they work better in groups? Do they work better in, in pairs? How do they feel about group discussion? You know, while, you know, in the old school way, I would think, well, you have to learn how to do everything and you're gonna learn it here. Not really taking into consideration where the student was. And I'm not saying that a student who says, I'm not comfortable in group discussions. Um, I'll never 
pick on them. No, but I'll try to get, you know, by getting to know them and by establishing that trust, I can get them um, there eventually. Um, so I have a a question. Yes. Um, Do you, and maybe you're going to answer this already. So tell me to, tell me to stop if you are, but do you feel that like, at what point are students comfortable enough with you to really like share some of those things? Or do you find that most of them are pretty open right away? So that's a really good question. And we talk about this all the time with Q as well, with AC. <laughs> um, we talk about this all the time is choice is really important. And one of the things that our school we've been doing lately is when we have circle discussions, um, um, I think it's called, is it, what is it called? Um, testimonies, uh, oh, serial a, testimony, serial testimony, you can always pass. So you, you can, you should never make any of the questions obligatory. Got it. Okay. So, you know, the student will tell you what they're comfortable telling you. And, and also it's really important to ask questions in a way that are fun. What does your perfect summer day look like? Mm -hmm. If you had a superpower, what would it be? Um, you know, um, what, um, I just asked a question about like the last, tell me about the last time you, you took a risk and failed. What did it seem like? You know, so, so little things like that. There are loads and loads. Of course, we all stand on each other's shoulders as teachers. There are loads and loads of question formats out there um, that you can look question examples, but, but I'm, you know, and be creative about it. So it doesn't seem intrusive. Mm -hmm. You know, probably later on in the year, and this is one of the things that my national board's colleagues and I talked about today, um, sorry, yesterday, was you don't have to do the survey just at the beginning of the year, mm-hmm. right? You can do like just a basic, hey, tell me a little bit about, you know, um, about you, your family, et cetera. And then later, as you build that trust, you can get into really, really deeper types of surveys. Um, surveying should really happen all year. Um, and be thoughtful and not the same survey every time because kids like they catch on to that stuff um, and we don't want to you know survey them to boredom so um, so that's one of the things um, and um, you know as far as equity I think it's really really important again I saw some I, I have to tell you I saw some some questioners out there that said what is your parents like last level of education I thought okay, yeah, I want to ask that question, right? I mean, what does that have to do with anything? Um, so we have to be really, really careful and respectful. Um, I do ask them, you know, what, what languages are spoken at home? Um, is that a language your parents are comfortable in? Are you comfortable in that language? Because I find a lot of like heritage speakers, and I think Q, um, AC knows this, that like heritage speakers of Spanish or, or Chinese, for example, of, of which we have many, will be embarrassed, you know, to, to, to speak their heritage language because they don't speak it as well as their parents, et cetera. So it's really important to, to ask those questions and layer them a little bit. Um, you know, add to what you um, I wanted to add to the whole whole student thing too. Yeah. Um, um, I think <clears throat> I'm a big proponent of doing surveys, and I and 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 one of my mantras is know thy student. Uh, and the reason why that's my mantra is because when you do a survey like this, and I like the way the AG sets it up, she sets up the questions where they're going to elicit the type of information that you want. Like sometimes you know you want to have <clears throat> sort of kind of like these these questions that are really going to mine and dig in and get you as much information as possible without being like so direct. Right. And you want students to feel like comfortable. I think that's like the first stage. Um, This is their first, um, first time getting to know you and students love talking about themselves. Right. They love, you know, kind of sharing about their world. And another thing that I just want to add on to this is that, um, one of the things, one of the ways in which I use surveys too, is I have sort of like this rotational curriculum where I have a lot of different like units. Like, let's just say I kind of have like <clears throat> unlimited Kindle select when it comes to my units. Okay. And when I do these surveys in class and as I get to know students, this kind of helps me, this informs me of where I'm going to go. Like maybe for like my next unit, like my first unit, 
<clears throat> with all classes are usually like something around identity, right? Because it's very important for students to get, for me to get to know students and for students to get to know each other. And so um, after, you know, while we're doing that, I'm collecting all of this sort of like, you know, soft information on students and what they're like. And then I can sort of make decisions based on, based on that. And one of the examples is um, with this rotational curriculum, um, I remember one year doing a survey that wasn't as professional as AG survey. <laughs> um, I'm getting there. I'm getting there. Not, not yet. <laughs> and she had a survey with me. <clears throat> I realized that a lot of my students, for one reason or another, they were they were more STEM inclined. And it was just so weird. Like they were very sciencey. And I remember that year we did like project-based learning and they just had all these like science projects. And I was like, oh my gosh, this is amazing. And we did it in Spanish. Um <clears throat> But then that led me to exploring. Like I remember I had this, this one unit that was, wasn't fully developed, but I ended up based on, you know, learning all this stuff about students in my survey, I ended up creating sort of like this unit on stem cells. And like, we, it, we ended up talking about like, this is level four. Um, we ended up talking about like some of the, the bioethical debates around stem cells. And we ended up having to bring in the science teacher from across the hall <laughs> because there were just some limits there were some limits in like my knowledge uh but it was just it was just galvanizing it was electrifying the kids were just like oh my gosh and i and i haven't the funny thing is going back to the survey and going back to the students i haven't done that unit again um i haven't done that unit again sorry about that and it's because you know after doing the survey I, a lot of students the students that i've had in the last couple of years that's not where their interests lie. You know, we had other meaningful projects, like a lot of like activism and, and you know, like civic minded projects because those were the students that I had in front of me. Um, I, I was just gonna say this and then I realized you're preaching to the choir. <laughs> Q, I just realized <laughs> the name of the podcast. <laughs> Sorry, I mean, so true, right? So that remind, brings me back to getting to know your students and planning around them is the students you have in front of you today, mm -hmm. you know, um, and that's going to change every year. And, you know, um, just like you said, you know, having a bunch of thematic units in your, in your pocket from all the years, you know, um, I don't throw anything away. And now that it's all electronic, even better. And really, really, you know, gearing your teaching, you know, a lot of us are like super planners and we want to have the whole year planned and know exactly what our route is. But um, I don't think that's fair to students. You know, I think that that we really need to think like, yes, maybe my first two units are this um, or my final unit is this. So I've I've done things where I let the I give the kids three units, one on the environment, one on social activism and one on, you know, war and peace, which one, which one do you want to do? And then I, that's the unit, you know, the majority, um, you know, vote. And then, um, so, so giving students choices is really important. So responding to the students in front of you. Okay. As much as we want to have everything down for the whole year, we have to absolutely get to know our students. Um, and one thing, um, I wanted to talk about, um, is, um, and Q really used this term. We, a lot of, when we talk about um, e equity-based practices and culturally responsive teaching, of course, we have to check our own biases, right? And our own lived life, live lives. And when I think about myself as a, as a Latina, um, you know, first-generation uh, Mexican-American, um, you know, AC as a Black woman, uh, you know, raised in Chicago, but, you know, having spent much of her, her life and education learning Spanish, you know, when we look at that, you think, well, oh, we're like the epitome of, you know, representative cultures, right? We're representing our cultures. But the reality is that sometimes we have our own biases because we were educated in a, in a, in a system that oppresses people of color and we've unconsciously maybe bought in to those policies and practices, right? So, um, so, 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 you know, there's no one perfectly suited out there to, to, to create an equitable 
classroom. It's you just have to be intent, you, you know, check your biases and be intentional. One of the things that um, in our conversations, um, AC made me see was that there's a, I think I have a generational bias. So I came from a very strict uh, Mexican family. Um, I'm a lot older. You know, we were, um, we were very, very obedient to our elders. <laughs> You know, that's cultural too. And so when a student talks back to me, I'm like, what? <laughs> you know, I have to check myself because I want to say like, be quiet and sit down, you know? <laughs> so, and I just ruined a relationship with the student because I can't, res you know, because I should have diffused that and figured out a better way to, you know, approach um, a student in a way that's more student friendly. So, you know, all kinds of biases that we have to be aware and, and that happens with, and Q and I talk about this all the time, for you and your colleagues out there, um, you have to be honest with each other and allow yourself to be vulnerable. Yeah. Q told me that, you know, she's like generational bias, you know, basically like you have that <laughs> AG, think about that, you know, the way you approach students, right? Um, and I was like, you're absolutely right. Yes. Okay. Let's move forward. How do I do that? So we have to be okay with that vulnerability. I mean, we assess students all the time and critique them. Why can't we critique ourselves and each other? So that's really important. Well, thank you so much for sharing that. And that's true. I think that um, we have a lot of different biases, you know, and it's, you know, part of being a, a educator who's like dealing in equity and trying to be more equitable is really not only knowing your students, but knowing yourself. And I am going to talk a little bit about uh, equity and representation in the curriculum. So um, we talked a little bit about like students and the, per and the purpose of like kind of like doing surveys. And one of the things that I really want to um, touch on that AG mentioned was, you know, I like this thing of like putting like she has these units. She kind of have the rotational, you know, unit guide like I do. And she gives students options. So number one, I don't want teachers to feel like you know, you've, you've created all this curriculum and then you do a survey and now you have to change everything. That's not the case. It really just is about adjusting expectations and just making a better match. Um, and so another one of the ways in which we can kind of bring about balance to our language program is making it as representative as possible. Um, and that representation, when, I, when, when we talk about diversity, a lot of times that sort of gets um, railroaded into just talking about racial diversity. And I think that racial diversity is very important. And I think that we should endeavor to have, you know, a curriculum that is representative racially, but there are other forms of diversity. And I think of that diversity as sort of like this chameleon and shapeshifter, where it's like, it takes a lot of different forms. So making sure that our curriculum is representative in terms of racial and ethnic, ethnic diversity, you know, LGBTQ themes, differently able people represented, gender, socioeconomic, like that's also a way of diversity, especially if you are teaching in like a homogenous, like rural community, it can be a black community, a white community, Hispanic community, you know, and you want to figure out ways to bring diversity or like even talking about different people in the community, it can just be sort of like talking, talking about different people in terms of geography, talking about them in terms of like their socioeconomic um, background as well. So <clears throat> here are a few tips that I want to give. Um, number one is, so I do thematic units and I know like some people, um, I know that that's not the path that a lot of teachers take, but you can apply these tips to any type of um, curriculum situation that you have. So if you're like, if you have the bag, the, you know, the CI bag of tricks and you're doing movie talk and you're doing all this stuff, figure out a way to make it more representative, figure out a way to make it more equitable for the students. So number one is just curating and talking about like notable people from, um, from diverse backgrounds. Um, that is, I feel like that's really low hanging fruit and it's super easy to do. Um, so as you're researching and, and you're, you're curating resources for your unit, just try to find someone that is part of the culture or something that's part of the culture that's that's not really, I, I don't like using the word marginalized. I like using underrepresented because I feel like they are underrepresented. They're not necessarily like, they're being marginalized by people, but they're, they're underrepresented for, um, for a variety of reasons. So notable people, um, events, 
holidays and traditions that highlight these underrepresented groups. And again, I'm giving tips and then I'm gonna give you some things that I've done in my curriculum so that you can kind of match those up. Um, explore their histories in a balanced sense. And what I mean about a balanced sense is sometimes as teachers, and I've heard this a lot, when we think about diversity, um, we're, we think, oh, you know what? Well, I'm gonna talk about racism. You know, like this is gonna be like my go-to diversity. So let's talk about how these people were oppressed, you know? And although that has a role, um, it is <clears throat> important to their story. I think about this, this quote by Issa Rae. I love her, by the way, um, from her series Insecure. She didn't make this, she made this quote on, on an interview, but she said like, in the sentence of life, racism is a comma, you know? And I really like the way she contextualized that because we just give so, sometimes as teachers, we give so much credence, we give so much attention and highlight to this. And we forget about the uplifting stories. We, we focus so much on the pain and we forget about the joy. And so when we are incorporating, you know, um, underrepresented groups, like let's make sure that we incorporate uplifting stories that they're not stories of just pain, victimization, marginalization, racism, you know, that we are, that it's being totally representative where students that are a part of that culture in the class can walk away feeling like uplifted. They can, you know, it's, it's a dignified way. They can feel proud of it. And then students who are not part of the, of, you know, of that culture, they also can see these people, um, you know, in the different light, you know, they, they can see these people through a different lens, through a different window, if you will. Um, so some examples, um, and I know AG has a really great example too. Um, so in May, for example, a lot of teachers teach like Cinco de Mayo and, um, which is great, you know, which is great. But one way you can sort of add something, something from like an underrepresented group is you can also, um, in May, they celebrate the day of, it's el Dia de la Mujer Afro Descendiente. So the day of the Afro, um, the, the woman of Afro, um, descent. Um, that is, that's another, that's sort of another big thing. Um, that's, yeah, that's like another big, not holiday, but um, like a way to honor women of African descent. So that is, that's an idea. Also, since we're talking about like Mexico, you can also focus on, um, you know, the, the traditions and like, you know, even some of like, you know, the holidays of Afro-Mexicans, you know, this is sort of like a new subject that's, you know, that's getting, not a new subject, but a culture that we have sort of shown the spotlight on. And a lot of people are, are just realizing that, wow, there are like African people in Mexico. Like, yes, there are. So if you're teaching something about Mexico, this is one way that you can give visibility to um, the African people, African descent, um, Af people descended. You know what? I'm getting, I'm getting a little tripped up here. You guys know what I mean. Okay. Yeah, absolutely. You know, it's just English. It's just so like cumbersome yeah. sometimes, sometimes, right? Um, if you're studying the Day of the Dead, for example, again, you can look at it through also not just the indigenous lens, but you can look through it through the uh, Afro-Mexican lens as well. If you're studying like the Incas, you can bring to the forefront also the contributions of los Afro-Peruanos, okay? There are people of African descent in Peru. Um, and so those are just some ways in which we could... Um, make sure we are in integrating that diversity in our curriculum. Um, and, and, one of, and one of the other things that I wanna bring up too, before AG shares her example, is I wanna sort of talk about, you know, in sort of under this umbrella of representation, the difference between like surface culture and then deep culture, okay? Uh, because some of the things that I brought up, I, felt, I feel like they are, they are kind of surfacey. Okay, they're surfacy in, in the sense that you're you you are incorporating um, you're incorporating these different themes to kind of complement uh, you know to complement your unit and to give a little bit of visibility, right? And a lot of times I think that is the first step. So I don't want to discourage anybody from doing that. I think what my my goal here is to encourage you to do that, but then try to go deeper, right? So when we think about like you know, the day of like, Af of, women, of women of African descent. Like, yay, that's so great. We can celebrate this. But then it's the other side of, well, why do we even have this day? Like, why do we have, like, like why, why is this such a big deal? Like, why are we taking a step back to honor these women? And then that can lead to conversations of, 
you know, of uh, racism that can lead to conversations about colorism um, and just like how these women have really been shut out of history, you know, and I think, and, you know, I think that that goes with sort of every type of little, you know, every way in which we try to, you know, redeem, you know, a culture, like even with like Black History Month, you know, it's like, well, why do we even have like Black History Month? Because it just wasn't, it isn't a part of our everyday history and it should be. You know, it should be a part of our curriculum. We shouldn't just relegate it to just one month out of a year, right? So I think that that kind of helps us to go into, um, you know, look at look at what we're doing, but kind of like go beneath the surface. It's okay to be in the shallow, but then we can kind of walk and get uh, waist deep. Um, one of the things I think about too, when I think about surface culture and what, what I also want to communicate is, I want you to do surface culture. I just don't want you to stop there. <laughs> So um, when I used to work with IB, um, I used to be, I guess you would kind of call it like an IB consultant, um, so many different titles and roles. But um, one of the things that we would do is I would be part of a team that would be dispatched to a school, a candidate school. And we would, with our criteria, we would kind of vet that school and see if that school met, you know, the IB criteria, right? And I remember one school we went to, I mean, they were just, they had just culture everywhere. I mean, it was just oozing out of the walls. And I was like, oh my gosh, this is an amazing school. They're doing everything IB. And when we sat down just amongst ourselves, like the, uh, the crew, I remember the, the team lead saying, you know, their culture is very, it's just food, fa uh, food flags and fun. And that just really like stuck, you know, that really stuck with me. And I was like, oh, wow. And what she was hinting at was the culture just being so surfacy, like, you know, even when we talked to the teachers and kind of found out, um, discovered what they were doing in class with the curriculum, it was just very surfacy. They did not move for forward. So um, I want to, like, I want to just make sure that, yes, we can do the surface things. As teachers, we feel, or at least me, like, I used to feel like, oh my gosh, like I have to be the expert. I have to know all this. Okay, so if I'm going to present, you know, if I'm going to, um, you know, integrate uh, some type of like cultural relic from an un underrepresented group that I know nothing about, I will feel like I have to know every single thing about them in order to talk to the students, okay? And I mean, I was like that for a, for a long time. And that precluded me from really taking that risk like you know how we're always telling students yeah take that risk and do that yeah I wasn't a risk taker you know I was just like I don't want to do it because I don't want to mess up and I don't want to offend people and blah 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 and what I ended up doing was I kind of reached back and I remember this quote from um, one of my professors uh, she would say and the quote was in Spanish so when I say it in English it's kind of crazy but uh, well not crazy it just doesn't make sense um, she said, you don't have to drink the whole ocean to know that it's salty. And I don't know why, like, I don't, I can't explain that. It just made sense to me. And I was like, you know what? This is so true. Okay. I do not have to know everything. I'm just going to go with what I know. Okay. So I want you, I want the teachers, people that are listening, just start. Okay. Just start, just go with what you know. And what you can do is you can take, choose two to three topics a year, okay? Um, or maybe one to two topics, whatever you're comfortable with, because we're all busy, especially being online now. I mean, I was just going through my curriculum last night and I'm like, oh my gosh, we're probably gonna do half of it, okay? I was, you know, so, you know, start with one or two topics, you know, around which you want to deepen your knowledge, okay? And by deepening your knowledge, just read, like, read a few articles about it, look at some videos, you know? And think about your students, think how you can put this information in front of them, how you can empower them to even take it a step further and do some research for themselves, you know? Um, but I think that that's, um, that, that, that that way you are not overwhelming yourself, right? You are not putting this pressure that you have to know everything. Just figure, just kind of learn as much as you can. And then every year you build on that, okay? Um, so that's, okay, so that's number one, and I do have some examples. Uh, let's see. Um, so for example, here's, um, here's how I'm kind can of- Can I just, can sure. I just really quick, um, just for the listeners out there, um, 
it, surface culture and deep culture. Um, if you you just do if you just Google it, um, it's called the cultural iceberg. You'll see a ton of representations out there. So yep. just you know just for for your reference, it's an easy Google um, Google find for you to have that. And you know and possibly you know it. it, it take a little, print it out on a little thing and stick it to your computer when you're planning and just like hit on one, you know? So just wanted to give that resource out there. Um, no, go ahead. Yes, no, thank yeah. you. That's, yeah, that's a good idea. And I really like your example too, um, about the, um, the Senegal, um, the Senegal unit that you did. I think that that would be a really great follow-up. Um, so just, just to give you guys some examples of what I'm doing for my level one, um, I'm adding more biographies about Afro-Latino um, people and traditions and communities. I've already added like two. So Vanessa Mendoza is, was one of my resources. Alejandra Robles, this is, I just discovered, she is an Afro-Mexican singer. She's from Oaxaca. And so she has Afro-Mexican and indigenous roots. And her music is very eclectic and very representative of that community. Uh, and she's just an extraordinary human being. I'm just like, oh my gosh, like I can't wait for students to learn about her. Um, also the vice president of Puerto Rico, not Puerto Rico, sorry, vice president of Costa Rica. Um, I think her name is Etsy Campbell. She is of African descent. Um, and so that's, that's another person that, and like, I'm, again, I'm just starting like low hanging fruit. Um, also, we are going to explore in level one, uh, we're going to explore the Afro-Mexican community, and I'm like really excited about that. I have this book, Yanga, by Chris Mercer. We're not going to read the book, okay? Let me just say, we're not going to read the book because it's level three, but I do love some of the graphics, you know? Um, I have another book here that's called African Presence in Mexico. I went to, uh, it's so funny because I went to this uh, PD ages ago, like I want to say like seven years ago, and it's just so much stuff, and I'm finally getting to the point where you know, I can um, just incorporate this in a deeper way, in a deeper way. And my last point is um, just integration versus uh, incorporation. So when I think of in integrating things, I think of that as being part of, that as being sort of the DNA of the curriculum, right? So I'm integrating it, thinking, uh, having my students in mind, what we've done, like being able to make connections, you know? Whereas incorporation, a lot of times, is sort of like, I'm just kind of doing a checklist. Again, in the beginning, you may just be doing a checklist, and that's fine, but you want to move from incorporation to integration and make it a part of your curriculum, and, and students can feel that. Students can feel that. They can feel if you are just kind of like going through this, let me just like, oh, I want to have a, you know, like a Black person in the curriculum, let me just, you know, just incorporate it really fast. So just make sure that whatever you do, that make it as meaningful as possible you know, and always just leave room for yourself to grow. So whatever you do this year, think next year, okay, I'm going to add a little bit on that. Well, and I just, I really, I've been thinking about this whole time you're talking. This is like, so, like, it's so good. I'm like taking all these notes as you talk and I'm so excited for everyone to listen to this, but I can already hear there's going to be some teachers that I think are saying based on my community, based on my student population, my admin population, what my school is, they're nervous to start incorporating some of these things in because they're not sure how it's going to be received. Um, if you can kind of maybe get what I'm getting at here, um, that their school population may not be one that is multicultural or diverse in any ways. Um, so I love how you're saying, just take little steps, start yeah. putting it in, adding it in, work on yourself, because there's a lot of teachers unpacking a lot of things in their own internal biases these days. Um, but do you have any other advice for teachers who are maybe like, nervous to tiptoe into making their curriculum more representative? Yeah, so I think, um, and I know the AG is going to want to like respond to this as well. I think one I know, of, I'm chomping at the bit. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, um, so one of the things that I've told teachers is that number one, you don't, you don't, you don't have, or you don't provide a diverse curriculum because your kids are diverse, you know? Like you do it because so it's the true. right thing, you know, and we live in, we, we may not live in a community with a lot of different people, but we live in a world of a lot of different people. And it's just really important, not only for uh, building empathy, but just for being like a global citizen, you know, and I, and I think that teachers are going to have to be, if they work in a community, like from what you're saying, like, let's say they work in a community that's very racist, you know, and they're going to, they're going to have to try to find a way um, 
to expand the minds of their students to incorporate things in a curriculum that yes may not um may be um May make people uncomfortable. Yes, right? I would, that's, that's the word I was looking for. Yeah, make and, people uncomfortable and just do it in a very, do it in a very like tasteful manner because if not, then what, I mean, like, I feel like that's your moral obligation as the teacher, you know? And so you kind of have to, it's the right thing to do. So, um, and if you're teaching Spanish and you're teaching a world language, I mean, that's, I feel like that that's the window right there. That's the window right there. So um so yeah i mean it's important for them to have their mirror but they need a window and that's i feel like that's part of the reason why we have some of the issues that we have in this cult this this country culturally because there aren't enough windows there just aren't enough mm -hmm. windows do they do 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 you think your listeners understand the idea of windows and and mirrors i think it have might be helpful for you to Talk, talk about that a little more. Okay, so that's another concept that comes from, I believe, um, the SEED project, which is seeking educational equity and diversity. I, I, I never remember, so I'm sorry, SEED. Um, but, um, you know, so the idea of um, windows and mirrors is that the curriculum should always be balanced as much as possible mm -hmm. in students seeing themselves in a mirror mm -hmm. in the curriculum. So whether that student is white, Christian, um, Southern, you know, what they need to see themselves in the curriculum and, and mirror. No, I lied. Yes, the mirror is, is the student seeing themselves in the, represented in the curriculum. Uh, if that's a black student, they wanna see Afro-Latino and you teach Spanish, they should be seeing Afro-Latino um, representation. Um, and the windows <clears throat> is looking out onto you know your neighbor uh, your neighbor um who's who 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 doesn't look like you doesn't pray like you doesn't eat like you um doesn't you know has different values doesn't speak like you so 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 every curriculum needs windows and mirrors so uh, i'm glad you brought up this question because i do think it's really important to remember the kids in front of us and finding that balance so um, um, you know, and that's something we, we just absolutely need to do because otherwise, like, like AC said, it is our moral obligation to, to provide this balance for students. Um, so, um, I'm going to go back to something that Q said about incorporation versus integration. I think that just like we look at lower order th um, thinking skills and higher order thinking skills and the perfect program has both of those, like, you know, a brain break, something that's easily accessible to do for students and then something that's challenging. So um, does it have a right answer, et cetera? I do mm -hmm. think you can incorporate things. So um, for example, um, and again, because of systemic, you know, si you know, sort of um, systems of, you know, I'm not going to say oppression, but of, of underrepresentation. So, for example, I did a unit on social media use, and I in French, and I used Tomai, who's Belgian and who's um, um, who's uh, multiracial, biracial, I believe. And um, so, 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 and, and also transgender, I want to say. So, so he's a great representation um, in that sense, just himself. Mm -hmm. but, but then when I wanted to find follow-up activities for the students on um, teens being interviewed about their social media use, of course, the first ones that come up our French students. There's loads of those of French students being interviewed on the street, but you just dig a little deeper. Mm -hmm. And then I found Senegalese students on the street mm -hmm. talking about it. And you know what? I didn't have to say much about Senegal. They're just, in that case, I'm just incorporating. I'm showing that, that, that French is not only spoken by, you know, uh, beret wearing baguette carrying french people and 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 so that was a way that i can incorporate voices you do have to dig deeper that's the thing you know mm. you have to be intentional and it is a fight and it's a struggle but yeah. guess what the more we find those resources the most the more they're going to pop out on google first yeah that's so right? true 
So, yeah. so, so we, we, we need to be the tool that makes those things easily accessible. So that's one thing I wanted to say. Um, and then um, uh, about educating ourselves, two things like I, um, Q, I was just thinking about your day of the dead. Um, a few years ago, the Mexican Fine Arts Museum here in Chicago had a thing where they, for, for teachers, where they incorporated um, they integrated the, the the Day of the Dead celebration with the Japanese Oban, which is a similar um, sort of yearly um, welcoming back of their loved ones. So the Japanese teacher at my school and I went together. So you could even incorporate Oban in right. Spanish, fine articles. And, you know, that might, uh, you know, sort of, you know, touch one of your Japanese students, um, one of your Asian students and say, oh, we have this in our culture. I'm going to go ask my parents about this now. Right. So, so little things like that. Um, and, and as far as, you know, um, having units that are just food and festivals. Um, Q, I hope you don't mind. I'm going to say this. Um, you know, she's not responsible for, for the views and opinions expressed by me. <laughs> I was going to say like Cinco de Mayo, that whole thing, you know, if I talk to my family in Mexico, they will say that Cinco de Mayo was created by Americans to sell beer. Mm -hmm. So yes, teachers, okay, need to be really, really careful. You don't see Mexicans celebrating Cinco de Mayo there in the way that we're celebrating it here. So we need to go beyond food festivals and look where our sort, look at the sources from which our materials are coming. Okay, I always look at, 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 at bias in anything. When, when somebody writes about racism, I wanna see is that, a, who, who wrote that? Mm -hmm. um, you know, who wrote that? Who's, who's telling me what to do? Um, have they lived that experience? Mm -hmm. um, so, you know, it's just like uh, feminism being written about by men. Like, yeah, okay, maybe I'll read that article, but I really wanna supplement it with what women have to say about this. So, so think about it that way. And then, um, do you want me to talk about the Senegal unit real quick? Yeah, here? please. Okay. I, yeah, yeah. So this is an example of integration. So like I said, in the past, you know, we do food flags and festivals because that's what we're comfortable with. But again, um, you know, I think we can get beyond that if we allow ourselves to. So I had the, the privilege of, of um, receiving a grant, a travel grant, uh, grant from the Chicago Council of Global Affairs. It's called the Coldike Global Teachers, and it was a grant to travel and to learn. So I wanted to go to Senegal because I've read uh, Senegalese literature in French, and it was um, I'm a big history literature kind of person. Um, so I really wanted to go to the country of its source, and um, I had an amazing time. I met amazing people, um, but you know, it's interesting. That wasn't enough. When I got back, and I wanted to kind of celebrate what I learned with my students, I didn't know where to start. Hmm. And as I started doing research, I learned about the history of Senegal. I didn't learn it in Senegal, but by hmm. going to Senegal, that sort of lit a little fire under me and so my Senegal unit instead of just talking about um, you know my experience and you know a lot of other things and history really went into deep history and talking about the kingdoms that existed in Senegal and how they um, had demo they, they had uh, they had democratic systems um, in 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 the kingdoms of, of, of Mali and Ghana which were the the king, what the kingdoms were called, where Senegal is currently located. Um, and it was amazing. Um, it, it, it actually, um, so not just did the students learn, um, you know, they learn about Charlemagne. They don't learn about uh, Mansa Musa, you know? So when, when, when we're talking about, you know, establishing empires, I mean, are those empires ever mentioned? Um, so I thought it was really, really important. And the, 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 the final essay was, um, what, how do you feel about what you've learned in history, mm. in your history classes here in America? 
versus what you've learned about, you know, compare and contrast sort of the histories. Um, and again, windows and mirrors. My own experiences taking history courses here in the U.S., what did I learn? Was there underrepresentation, et cetera, and then comparing it to the, the, the Senegalese history and, and systems of education. So again, I try to do that all the time. For me, my final assessment is usually a window and a mirror and a comparison, a compare and contrast. Um, and um, yes, I think that is um, all I have. So um, do you wanna keep going? Um, on, or is it my turn for for policies and practices? Yeah, you can. Yep, yep, yep. We yep. only have ten minutes, so um, okay. nine minutes. So um, I think that um, so we've talked about equity and representation, right? Um, biases, deep culture, um, surface culture, etc. We've talked about that. So now. How are you going to put it into practice? So equity is not just about representation. Equity is how you run your classroom. Mm -hmm. So for example, what are you assessing students on? Are you assessing them on the four skills equally? Are you, um, are you giving them points for participation? Are you giving them points for homework? Because those are behaviors. Those have nothing to do with their ability in Spanish. I know this is a controversial topic, but you have to look at your policies. Um, you have to look at your performance indicators. Be transparent with the students about this is what novice looks like. This is what intermediate looks like. This is where you are, and this is how I'm gonna help you get there. And this is not just with the whole class, but with every single student, because I teach level three. So they're coming from all kinds of backgrounds. Mm -hmm. Some are coming straight from elementary school. Some have been with us since French one. So I need to know that, can you write a paragraph? Can you elaborate? What kind of vocabulary are you using? Are you taking risks? Is there clarity? clarity, fluency, what, you know, whatever rubric that you use, break it down for the kids. Okay. Break it down for them right off the bat. So that's an important policy and practice is transparency. Um, um, can, I just can I add to that really quick? Yeah. Um, and so um, also, so when, and, and when you're breaking it down, I just want to like um, interject a little bit about like equity through skills, skills, is learning so when you break it down like whatever task that you're gonna have what I normally do is I make sure that I provide ladders to that task okay so if I if students are going to have if I'm gonna do a speaking task and let's just say just for the sake of you know um, giving like a simple example let's say the students are gonna answer four questions right they're gonna tell me like who they are where they live and like what they like or, or something like that well, if that's, if that's the summative assessment, right? Let's say this is level one, first couple of weeks or whatever, then a ladder to that task is, the first thing I'm gonna do is I am going to give them a mini task where we actually just talk about the first question. You know, we go around, you know, I'm doing like little pop-up grammar uh, exercises with them. They talk about the first, you know, you know question. Um, they get some practice together. You know, and then the second time, they're gonna talk about both questions. And this is not necessarily gonna be graded, but I give what I call targeted feedback. So I tell them like, okay, I'm only listening to, my goal here is to help you with this language function. So that's what I'm gonna give you feedback on. So as they're talking and I, I, I give them this little spiel and I tell them, I said, this is gonna feel surgical. This is gonna hurt, okay? And I want you to make mistakes, right? I want you to make mistakes. They talk and I'm giving them feedback and I, I'm pretty much in that little circle. I'm just correcting them and helping them you know, um, I'm asking them questions about, you know, what they said. So that's just like, as you know, AG said, like you, you, you want to make sure that what you're doing is like equitable and you're having like, you're assessing kids uh, along those four skill areas. However, when you start breaking it down, you want to make sure that you have provided enough practice layered with feedback before you assess them. And that's kind of how I've been doing it. And I have noticed these last two years, I rarely have to do retakes, rarely have to do retakes. Right. Because right. I just, you teach it, you teach it right the first time, you know, um, and then you don't kind of, you don't have to repeat, but go ahead. I just want right. to- Right, no, same. So, so the idea of like, um, on this, I am just gonna look at vocabulary. How rich is your vocabulary? 
the next time you do it, I'm going to look at your elaboration. Did you say because, or in my opinion, or for example, right? So teaching them again, breaking down those rubrics and, you know, and, and, every single thing so that they start feeling comfortable and mm -hmm. they can do it. And so also often in high school, we just assume they know how to do it. Mm -hmm. You know, yeah. we just say, here's the rubric. Good luck. Um, do great vocabulary. Make sure it's clear. Um, conjugate your verbs. You know, I mean, like, no, they really need like step by step. And if you do it at the beginning of the year, you're not going to have to be doing it every time. Right. So yep, it's front loaded. Yep. We rush into the beginning of the year and we don't accept, we don't get to know our students, we don't create norms and safe spaces, and we just, you know, and we just lose the opportunity. So as people are being nervous about entering the school year, slow it down. And I think, um, and I think uh, Q wanted to end on that idea is just slow yep. it down, take yep. one step at a time. Um, one last thing I wanted to say is remember that use, use um, students gave me feedback they, when I would give them a listening comprehension um, assessment, they would say, you know, madam, like, I feel like I understand everything else except the, the one thing you asked. Mm. So sometimes what I do, and if I think that is a really important ask, I'll keep it. But for other assessments, I just say, tell me five things you heard. Mm -hmm. <laughs> so, so that you're celebrating their strengths also. Yeah. And, and building their confidence. So student feedback, and you got to be open for that. Kids told me that, and, I, and I've changed the way I do that. And um, last but not least, remember that reteaching and relearning wherever possible needs to happen in the classroom. Yep. If you talk about equity, when you make students resort to tutoring, mm -hmm. that ends up being a punishment. So mm -hmm. I didn't teach it that well. You didn't get it. So, hey, come to tutoring. And that is like a negative um, sort of hat that kid, oh, I have to go to French tutoring today. Oh, you must be failing, mm -hmm. you know? But put the onus on ourselves and try to reach the kids right there and then. And like you said, you won't even have to reteach um, or, or have them do retakes because you've broken it down for them and you know exactly what they need. And that's getting to know the kids. Yeah, I think the key to, um, and you said it, and I want, and I was actually, and I, you read my mind. I was going to mention it. It really is to slow down, you know, is to slow down and just let the learning simmer. You know, you may have to take the top off, look at it and Hey, sometimes it may need to be a little longer and that's okay. You know, I love always like <laughs> no, the pathology. Because, I mean, like, I know that, um, you know, sometimes, you know, you know, I just, I reflect on my career and, and I know that I do kind of, you know, go this slow cooker route, you know? Um, and now I'm finally realizing and embracing, you know why I do that is because I want to make sure that the skills that I am assessing students that I have successfully taught them. And just like AG said, when you have to reach, when, when, when you get the data back from your students and they don't do well on something, that's really on you, you know, and you kind of have to take a step back and, you know, I've, I've heard this, I don't know if it was for Zaretta Hammond, but it's like, just because you taught it doesn't mean students learned it, you know? Mm -hmm. And so you kind of have to think about, okay, how did I teach this? Were there some roadblocks on how I taught? And just going back to earlier, we talked about different biases, generational biases and things like that. A lot of times we teach the way that we like to learn and the way that we were taught. And sometimes we really have to like get, get away from ourselves and get out of the box, you know? Um, and figure out a way that's going to be culturally responsive to students, a way that they're going to learn without having their amygdala hijacked, you know, that effective, that effective filter so high up, you know, we have to figure out a way to teach like that. Um, and so, so yeah, that's, that's kind of like, that's our equity. Those are some of our equity practices in a nutshell. I know there's like so much stuff here and there's just a lot of like, unpacking but um but it has really been working well for us and i feel like our students are in a much better place they enjoy coming to class um ag talked about feedback i know i get a lot of feedback well i got a lot of feedback last year from students and from parents and they're just like you know i don't know what you're doing online but my kid just feels like he's learning i can't believe it and i'm like yeah i i take it slow I unpack and I'm just, I am in no rush anymore, you know? 
uh, because it's all about the students and being student-centered. So there you yeah. go. Yeah. And just as far as feedback where you get, even if it's negative feedback to you, um, you know, I, I don't think there's any such thing as negative feedback in the sense that it's an opportunity for us to grow. So as long as we take it as constructive mm -hmm. and we have conversations, we talk to a colleague, get yourself a thought partner, mm -hmm. um, an equity partners, you know, where, where, you know, you're going to challenge each other. Um, and just know that we have so much to grow. If I can do it and I'm almost at 30 years of teaching, anyone can do it. And I just feel like I'm going to go out in like, a, a, like, a, you know, my glory days are still ahead of me, you know, um, because I've learned so much. And that's because I've allowed myself to be vulnerable, take it back, rethink my practice. But just a real quick, remember, if anyone wants to Google um, this, these concepts, um, it's the cultural iceberg, surface culture versus deep culture. And then if you just Google windows and mirrors, you'll, you'll find some nice articles about what that looks like in a classroom. Wow. I am, my brain is just like exploding with all this knowledge. And I'm so thankful that you both took the time to come here and to, to share. Um, and I know that everyone who listens is going to take something away from this. And I think really just like ending on that key point of being vulnerable, being, having a growth mindset, being willing to be human in front of your students and show them that learning process because we want them to become lifelong learners, right? And be resilient and be vulnerable and be honest and willing to admit when they've made mistakes. And we need to be that, that example for them too. Right. It's powerful. So thank right. you both so much for joining me today. And I can't wait to hear the feedback on this episode. <laughs> Adios. Adios.